Welcome to Season 6 of the Do More Good podcast, a selection of interviews with the movers and shakers from the third sector and beyond, telling the stories of people doing more good. I'm James, fundraiser at Blood Cancer UK, Marie Curie and now a Sue Ryder. I'm also treasurer of the events fundraising group of the CIOF and Bexley Cross Country Champion 1994. And I'm Kenneth, currently Charities Lead at London Marathon Events and proud fundraiser from my time with Alzheimer's Research UK. 2007 New Media Age cover star, father of three football-obsessed children, village beer pong finalist and co-host of the Do More Good podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good podcast. Good, do more. Do more good podcast. Do more good podcast. That's what you want me to say. Yeah. You're okay. listening to the Do More Good podcast. Right, here we are, James, episode number 72 of the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, Kenneth. I'm very well. We're recording this at the end of um, maybe the first sunny day of the year. It's been, it's been beautiful in sunny South London. Uh, I can see from your background there, it looks like it's nice there as well. It's glorious, but yeah, we're having some renovation work done at home at the moment. So I've just had the constant noise of drilling in my ear most of the day, which has made some of my calls a little bit interesting. But yeah, we're all good. Out for the good. first day game of golf yesterday. That was quite fun getting out with a few friends. Enjoyed How, how'd you get on? Terrible, but you know, <laughs> nobody's counting, right? I uh, think that's the whole, yeah, I think they are. That's the point. Yeah. Well, true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, it's been it's been it's been good to see everything open up and everyone seems a little bit happier so that's great yeah absolutely yeah yeah Mm. talking of kind of seminal moments in your life I'm going to open the conversation with you today around we're going to be talking a little bit around social media as we call it now what was your first tweet what was your first message on Facebook you know were you were you on Friends Reunited I still am still there absolutely Look, I, I haven't I haven't managed to dig into my social media to find my first tweet but friends reunited I mean that that was a blast from the past wasn't it yeah. we were talking before we, we before we started recording about those other social platforms and I have to mention one that always for me absolutely nailed it it went bust about four years after launching but it was a <laughs> social network called path and I'll be interested if anyone ever came across that because it was a limit of 50 people. So exclusive group that you could have on it and you could only speak to them. You could only have 50 people. And that was mine. But come on, you must have some stories from your early social media. Yeah, I did have a little look back. But just on path, is that because you can only have meaningful relationships with 50 people that you don't then just yeah. a bit like our social feeds, you know, just thousands of likes. <sighs> Exactly. Oh, all the exactly. engagement it was something yeah. around that i think it, it was it was started by a guy that had obviously come out of, of, of facebook and yeah it lasted about four or five years and then and then went pop as many of them tend to yeah. do i mean you yeah. know you can reel them off can't you was it vine and google plus i was google on that plus. as well i was on that. on that didn't manage to hit the magic 50 but yeah i, did, I was on that so yeah, what was your first message on Facebook? I, you know, I did look at, I looked back on an old sort of Facebook account and I was quite pleased that it appears my first Facebook message was it's raining at Glastonbury. And I was quite pleased with that. That was all right. That was, that was okay. Cool. So I posted, that was, that was cool. yeah, that, that'll count. Yeah. I probably deleted loads of stuff before that just to make out like that was first. It's scary, isn't it? Thinking all of the all of the messages and posts and and then things that we put out there that when when you do make it famous, James, when you when you're running the country, you well, know, that we're digging through all that old history. What, what I did, as, will they find? Exactly, I did scroll back through and I found some crackers of some haircuts. My goodness, and <laughs> belters in there in the photos. So, oh. well, yeah. look, let's crack on. We've got another great guest today. We've had a I had a good run at it, haven't we, the last the last few weeks? So I guess this week started his career in the charity sector in 2005, following a degree in economics. He quickly found his specialism in digital fundraising and was the head of digital fundraising at Christian Aid before joining Think Consulting in 2008 and going on to work with a wide range of charitable organisations, including the National Trust, the Salvation Army and UNICEF, to name a few. He then went on to start his own consultancy in in 2013, developing digital fundraising strategies that would raise millions for good causes. And it was during this time where he would identify the untapped potential for fundraising through social networks. Then in 2019, he founded and became CEO of GivePanel, a platform that helps nonprofits manage their Facebook fundraising. 
He likes table tennis and according to his LinkedIn profile, Shake Shack Burgers. So we're pleased to welcome Nick Byrne to the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing, Nick? Hi, guys. Thanks so much for inviting me. Uh, that was an awesome intro. Can I can I get you for that bio later? It's so much better than what I what I do for myself. And and yeah, Shake Shack, you're now making me hungry. I love a Shake Shack burger. I just, oh, they're so tasty. I've never had one. Can you tell oh. us, can you describe it to us? I don't know what they are, actually. No? I was like, okay, oh, so, what is so, Shake Shack is this, it started with a hot dog stand in New York, basically. It's fine dining meets McDonald's. Yeah. It's like if McDonald's yeah. created a burger that was so good, it was like a fine dining burger. But it's not like, it's still a bit rustic. But the taste of it, guys, honestly, it's oh. it's it's out of this way. It's, it's not, you can't compare it with other burgers. People say, oh, do you like a Five Guys burger? I'm like, I've had Five Guys. It doesn't come close. It's just a oh. different, it's a different product. Because uh, I've, really. I've scribbled, I've seen, I mean, I saw Kenneth's prose there early on. So I got, you know, I was weeping at my desk reading your biography. I know, early, that was, that it was, was lovely. good. It yeah, was I good. need it, I need um, it. And I scribbled down Five Guys, because that's my that's my favourite, that's my go-to if I can. Yeah, that's, yeah. But, so you're saying this is a level above that, the kind of... The, the burger, like you, it's it all in where they take the marrow and how they can buy, I mean, it gets scientific, you can buy the book and it's kind of like, I've, I've tried to re-engineer their source, I'm mean, kind of... A bit, a bit too into it, really. I just, I just stop. <laughs> that sounds like my kind of cookery book. That is, I know. I'm yeah. going to look this up straight after. Honestly, yeah. like if you, it's not the same. If you ever in New York grab one, I think they're slightly different over here. They, they breed their own cows in the US. But, but yeah, is if it you're like in, a bit like the Guinness. London, bit like the yes, Guinness, it does it doesn't and... travel I yeah I've enjoyed them more in New York maybe it's just because I'm 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 over there but yeah. and everything's everything's quite quite fun over there but yeah in London they got like three or four restaurants in London now so you didn't tell us yours Kenneth what's yours my favorite burger place Paul. Yeah. Oh, know, don't go I... don't go pretending you're all healthy no I'm, I'm certainly not all healthy but I live in the sticks where we don't have any decent <laughs> burger places to be honest so um yeah I think a home-cooked burger on the barbecue on a lovely summer afternoon can't beat one of those nothing wrong with that no no we'll go for that but nick look welcome thank you for that it's uh it's good to it's good to meet you i feel like i've seen your your face around over the last few years never actually had the opportunity to to formally meet but it's good to have the opportunity to talk to you today so look i I think we'd like just to kind of start off at the beginning as we do with most of our guests you know said in the bio you joined in around 2005 into the sector but can you talk us in about that experience and, and how you found yourself working in the charitable sector yeah, I, I was basically I got myself into a lot of debt basically <laughs> um, in my twen- in my early 20s because I'm a bit entrepreneurial. So I kind of had some failed ventures and that was mainly in the music industry. So I was managing a band. It's a bit of an embarrassing name, but they were called The Dead Lovers. Serious band. Um, they go under a slightly different name now, but uh, it was very Spinal Tap. Uh, if you've seen that uh, yeah. ama- amazing film and that all imploded and and I lost some money on, on that. And so I was. I learned a lot from it, but yeah, the music industry wasn't for me. And I started looking for, for, for jobs and a job uh, randomly came up at Christian aid. And I knew nothing about charity sector. Like when I heard the word Christian aid, I literally just thought of those poverty porn images. Like that's what came to my mind. Cause I knew nothing about the sector, knew nothing about it. And I went and got a, a job there. And that's how my career in the sector started. Really. It was, it was, I needed the money. Wow. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't thinking about going to work for a charity at all when, like when I think about it and that's that's where people would tend to turn to when they're desperate for cash they go for the the, the cash cow that is the charity sector right the well, I spoke I knew I knew how to do the online thing so I went through a recruitment agency and and I was just like I'm, I, I'd been in online marketing since 1997 in one way or another like doing lots of different things when I was a you know I started building websites for people when I was 17 18 that kind of thing you know really early doors so I knew how to do that. So I was confident in doing that. So I just applied to a recruitment company and they, they were kind of, they almost embarrassingly said, it's, it's with Christian aid. And I was like, that's fine. I went to a Christian school. I wasn't a Christian at the time. And actually the funny story is my wife interviewed me. She wasn't my wife at the time. Oh, wow. um, so she, she was my, my manager at Christian aid. Wow. And, uh, and that's, that's a bit of a, there's a bit of a kind of like, you know, um, sort of love story in that, I suppose that, that we met each other at Christian age. Yeah. So. Uh, so I want to know, here we go. So during <laughs> how soon after the interview, did you start kind of seeing each other? Cause I want to know during the interview, was she thinking, I've got to be careful. I've got to ask be, some extra questions here. I've got to be careful. Cause I'm always worried. They're going to pull out the old emails we used to send to each other. <laughs> Cause like, you know, some server somewhere still got our correspondence yeah, on. I'm I'm not the kind of guy that meets a girl, you know, and they instantly fall for my good looks. I'm just not that kind of 
kind of guy. So, so I, gr- I think I grew on, on, on Jenna over the course of about nine months. The good looks are just a bonus, right? It's the intellect yeah. that really gets yeah, into stuff. Yeah, you know, it's just yeah. like, I, like I was sat next to her and, you know, after a while, I'm going to wear you down, you know. If you sat next to me, you're going to like me uh, eventually. <laughs> so, um, so I think it took her a while to see it, but she then saw it eventually. And, and you came, you're saying, like, with knowledge of building networks, obviously that, yep. that relationship building skills obviously paid dividends for you in that obviously, first immediately. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah, was your yeah. What was your kind of network of choice? Where What was the first one you can recall? Were you all over MySpace with your with your band? And yeah, so it was it was MySpace back then. That was the big one for music because it was where you ho- if you were a band, that's where you hosted your music. That's where you got your followers. And MySpace was really big. There was no real mobile web going on. It was all desktop. And you used to kind of just like it was your listens or whatever it was like how many times mm-hmm. your track had been and you could upload your tracks onto it. And so yeah, MySpace was the was the big one at the time and then didn't that change quite quickly so that was that was kind of pre-Facebook and I actually launched a a kind of a social network my of my own back then we didn't kind of call it social media but I launched a thing called MusoFinder and because because we were looking for a drummer in our band and we couldn't find anyone what do bands do when they're looking for a drummer there's no there's no social network for musicians so we built a social network for musicians in a couple of days really and uh, it got featured on radio too and within within the first year it had like a hundred thousand members on it wow and that was that was Any like drummers? my first uh yes and and quite a lot of people like bands were formed from music wow. and if you're a musician that was in bands at that time I still get people going oh I remember music you know I remember music it was one of those first websites it was like wow. it, it did help people it's, it's pretty amazing but it was kind of my first time I'd built an online product and had so many people kind of tuning into that product and I saw the scalability of the internet for the first time because mm. um, I remember going to see the I'm a Chelsea Chelsea fan football wise never mind never mind. Uh, yeah I know yeah well we're, we're, we're doing all right we're doing all right um, but yeah I went I went to see the semi-final of the FA Cup at Wembley and I remember them announcing there's like 86,000 people in the stadium this is the old Wembley and I remember looking around and thinking gosh there's more people on my website than, than, <sighs> yeah. than here and I remember it hitting me the internet is such a powerful thing because here's little old me. Look at what I've been able to do with basically nothing. And actually, the power of the internet I wasn't lost on me how yeah. massive it was and how early we were as well back then. So why it didn't so it early. succeed, Nick? It did. I mean, like I sold, I sold it eventually. Sold like it. it was all right. The problem was that musicians don't like to pay any money <laughs> for anything. <laughs> so basically, like unless it scales, like it wasn't it wasn't ever going to be a massive business. But right. you know, it was it was fun. You learn a that's a that's an amazing story. That's up there with like Skinner and Badil at being at Wembley and hearing the Three Lions song. That, that's a beautiful. I'm not sure it's anywhere near that. I'm not sure it's anywhere near that. But um, yeah, it was it was just it was a bit of fun. And we like I said, we didn't even call it a social network back then. It was pre Facebook, and then Facebook came up came out, and I was actually this is, sounds so silly now because Facebook's what nearly a trillion dollar company, but I remember being jealous that it had started and I should have started it. Because I was already running a social network. So I was like, well, why didn't I see that coming? And I just remember how quickly it took off when they turned it on for the for the universities in London. And it just went like wildfire. Like it was so viral. I've never seen anything. I remember when it came out, the, the first weeks in which it was launched in the UK and how viral it was. I, I was going to a church at the time and it just everyone from church just got onto just it. Just so buzz, quick. wasn't it? Yeah. It was the, oh, it's just, like, it was insane. Everywhere you went, you had a conversation and you'd overhear it. Yeah. Someone at the coffee machine and whatever, you know, it was just like it. And it was the first time that that had kind of happened because now we get like clubhouses happen, right? Clubhouses yeah. kind of quite viral, quite quick, wouldn't you say? Like yeah. something like Clubhouse. Yeah. It's We're used to it now. But back then, that was the first time that it happened where like, whoom, like fire, it went through communities. You started in the music industry, you built a social network, you know, exited that at some point. You've done a lot of great stuff. And then you got into Christian Aid, you spotted your manager, you know, she had potential. (laughs) How that would develop. But what did you what can you remember? Take us back to that time. What was it like coming from outside the sector, having this experience into the sector and then being in a big organization yeah. like Christian Aid. I mean, I'm really interested how, how that I actually happened. loved it. I loved it. And I I wasn't the kind of person, I just grew up with an entrepreneurial family and I just wasn't the kind of person that was ever going to get a full-time job. I just never imagined that's something that I, I would do. But I really loved it. It was like my first proper job. Like I'd had the supermarket jobs during university and that kind of thing, but it was my first proper job. And I, I loved it. The people were lovely. 
I just really enjoy enjoy doing a, an online marketing job inside an organization that had some budgets and things like that. So I, I really enjoyed it. And the first thing I remember, the very first thing that happened was, um, do you remember the Asian tsunami that happened? That was really the first time that digital fundraising and online fundraising came came into itself because it happened on Boxing Day, if you remember. And obviously, no one was prepared for it. There was no emergency appeal. Everyone was at home. There wasn't tele. There wasn't like telephone set up. There wasn't anything. So it was the first time that your donation page just like was the people searched on Google to give because it was such a massive. I mean, do you remember how big it was as an emergency? I mean, it was just. I don't think we've ever seen anything like it in terms of just the impact of how crazy that was. That that especially that around tsunami. Christmas time as well, right? So yeah, everyone was at home. Everyone, I mean, I already giving. Yeah, friends who were there, a couple of friends who were traveling at the time, and actually, were, yeah, yeah. What happened was just the Christian Aid kind of online for like donations just poured in, mm. like you would not believe. And I was in charge of that, and I was in charge of the emails. And suddenly, I went from being this, you know, digital fundraiser that wasn't raising much to raising a huge amount of money online and that's when it start I started to kind of I guess gain influence in my career because mm-hmm. I knew what I was doing so I was sending out all the emails I was making us more money I was optimizing the donations for I was just doing that kind of thing and you, it, were, the, you were the coolest kid in the office of that week that was yeah. amazing well it, it, it was like no one else knew how to do that stuff right and I had been doing it by then for quite a few years so I was I was just well positioned and I think growing up in the time that I did I'm very fortunate that I went to university around like 1997, which is when Google was incorporated and I got into that kind of thing. And I'm just very blessed with that, I think. New the media. timing. Oh yeah, new media, new <laughs> media. I think I was the new media fundraising officer. That's I think it. that was my title. That's how crazy, crazy that is. So yeah, so that was, that was really, I was really enjoyed those first years. At I mean, I imagined staying for years actually and I couldn't imagine that before. I love being around people. That's what I was missing in just my own entrepreneurial things, it was quite lonely. Mm. And then to come in and be part of a bigger team and and be an expert in a mini way within the organisation, that was fun, really fun. You snuck in a point right at the beginning of that about how you were never going to do a normal job, that you, you were quite entrepreneurial. Your family was quite entrepreneurial, did you say? And sure, so yeah. You, what was... What was involved in that? What were you, you know, what was childhood like for you? Why was it always going to be an entrepreneurial role? I just remember my dad would say things to me like, don't be so busy making a career that you don't make any money and things like that. My dad was in the stock market and in finance and and that kind of thing. And so I just think he always instilled in me like not working for the, having a job wasn't necessarily something that was made attractive to me when I was younger. It was more, what business is it going to be? What ideas are going to be? And and that, that, that kind of thing. I always assumed I always wanted to start my own business. I mean, I was the kind of guy selling lemonade on the on the street when I was a kid. Yeah, actually, yeah. actually, I was selling my. I got told the other day. I I used, I used to take my my sister's toys that she wouldn't play with, and I used to sell them on the street <laughs> with her permission, with her permission, and give her commission. Give like take take a cut. It was great. It was good business that was because it was <laughs> it was great great cash flow, great cash flow because I didn't have to buy the stock. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's really interesting, isn't it? We were, I was out for a well, out for a walk with my nine-year-old last week, and we were talking about it. And she's got it into her mind. I think they had a lesson at school, which was all about starting your own business. And she said, "Oh, I'd like to start my own business." And we talked about, "Well, what would you like to start your own business in?" And we, it was quite a long walk, walk, so we were out for about two hours. And then by the end of it, it was clothing. And so you know, we came back and then started a, a Shopify account, you know, and did like wow, a drop that's hardcore. And, like made a logo and like built a you know and just did it in like an afternoon. And then she said, oh, I was like, do you reckon you can do this on your own? Or do you think you might want to get some of your friends on? And so she she was on to a, a phone call with two of her friends. And then it was very clear from the outset that she was the manager and they were the employees. <laughs> uh, and like, and so it lasted for about, it probably lasted for about a week. And, you know, it's still there. And we said we'd come back to it. But just that, it was great to see that entrepreneurial thing in her. She was like, oh, what can I make money? How do I make profit? What, what do I have to spend? All those kind of lessons that, you know, I'm sure you had growing up, it sounds like, Nick. Yeah, my, my daughter's quite similar, but I think that that takes it to a new level now. I think that's oh. brilliant. I think that's a brilliant story. Yeah, I was just naturally that way, and I think I always struggled to understand why not. Why isn't everyone want to do that? But but like then you realise that everyone's different, and that's a good thing. So yeah, but you could clearly, obviously, see you talk about your kind of Wembley story and the potential and, and the jealousy of Facebook as well. So I've seen Facebook and think, oh damn it, that should have been should have been me. It puts you at a certain that's a certain per- kind of person that, that sees that and thinks I should, that should be me. I know it's a certain kind of person and it's not, it's not altogether hinged. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's definitely like, 
I think entrepreneurs over index in kind of being manic and hypermanic. You have to be so naive. I think that's the point, because if you actually thought about what it took to build the business, you wouldn't start it out. You have yeah. to be incredibly green and actually naive. And I think actually that's that's been a very good trait of mine in some ways is like, actually, I don't think through the full consequences of it. I just start it. And then I think about the the con- oh, But then a lot it. of things that we buy or or get involved in or aren't rational. They're not. It's it's, it's passion. It's something that we. Right. So that's that that sense of something. This could work. Will will apply to everybody else, even if the pay you know the the piece of paper in front of you with the figures written down don't work in any way, and you're going to have to get a job to pay it off. Then it's it's that sense of feeling that you get that kind of sparks it, and other people are going to have that as well. And then suddenly the numbers change then in facebook's case very well like you say a trillion trillion dollar company yeah crazy yeah so so come on we want to get to get to the crux of it nick then i mean we could spend a long time i mean you've obviously had some great experiences i'm assuming that you became this kind of digital guru at the time you know spent a couple of years with christian aid and then moved into the consulting space because you were like well, hang on a minute. No, there isn't actually that many people who have the experience that I do. And I'm sure there was loads of charities at the time that were kind of looking for someone like you. And then you got to to actually founding Give Panel eventually. But can you talk right, us yeah. about the run up to, to, to that? Because I think there was something looking through your your LinkedIn profile and your, your background. There was something that came just before Give Panel. Is that right? Yes, yeah, raised through. Yeah, which was us basically productizing consulting right. uh, and te- teaching organizations how to raise money through Facebook ads. So I got to the stage where as a consultant, you can help someone with digital fundraising, but you can only really help a few at a time. Mm-hmm. So I was like, OK, how do I help 100, 200 charities in a year with this? And so we created a program, a kind of accelerator program of how. So we productize consulting. So instead of doing one digital strategy at the time, which to be honest was boring the life out of me doing digital strategies. And even now I'm just kind of like, I've just done my, I've paid my dues in things like digital transformation, all this top down stuff that never goes anywhere. For me, it was like, it's time to get results for charities and I have to get results. So we, we actually just raise money with charities that came on the program. We, we did it with them all the time. We had some amazing successes and that really, that was really fun. But, you know, again, it's like there's a life cycle to these things, really, where you have the idea, you birth the idea, you build it. And now it's carrying on. Race still carries on the guy. There's a guy called Chris who who kind of runs it and it's brilliant. So I'm still I'm still kind of like, you know, I can still st- still in, kind of involved in a loose way. But how was that approach at the time? Because I, I, I assume that there wasn't other people who were productizing consulting in that in that way it, it sounds innovative it sounds ahead of the ahead of the time was no, it? yeah it was it was happening in other other places on, on the internet but it wasn't happening in our sector mm. and and i i just knew i knew so many of our clients were unhappy with their agencies so many were struggling with um skilling up staff things like that and so it kind of just came out of a need really and i thought i'm actually a good person to deliver on this promise and take take clients through it and so yeah that was that was fun but it wasn't it wasn't ultimately software, which I I keep coming back to the fact I kind of grew up inside the browser. Right. Like everything to me is like a, a user interface. That's just the kind of guy I am. I'm, I'm more of a product guy, if anything, than I am a fundraiser. And so I was always looking for that next software product. And, and it took me a while to get there. Uh, but that's that's like that's what I loved about Muse Finder was like I could click on things I could use. It, I could interact with other people. And so that's where kind of I was looking for. I've always been looking for that software product that I want to build. Yeah. And that's where gift panel came from. Sorry, I'm going to pinch that. I'm going to, I'm, I'm pinching the uh, grew up inside the browser for my, my daughter's new t-shirt range, because I think I that like would it. be great for, <laughs> great for kids, you know, grew up inside the tablet, grew up inside yeah, the grew inside, uh, beside the app. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. They wouldn't know what a browser was anymore. No, they wouldn't. You, you're quite right. <laughs> I'm not the best person to give you quotes for your daughter's t-shirt business. I bought a mini disc player. <laughs> <laughs> I did. It's still around somewhere. Still got it. But I love the fact that you could change the names of the songs. You could change. You could put your own little. So if you were making a mixtape, you know, for your boss, then you could change the names of the songs. And anyway, it didn't catch on. Obviously, did it? <laughs> it, did, um, it really didn't, did it? Really? But I think I was one of only three people to have them in the country. So yeah, it didn't work out too well. Give panel. Obviously, you had the spark of the idea, and you thought, not this time, Facebook. You're not getting away. I'm going to be on top of this one. Uh, this is my idea. Yeah. Where, where did that come yeah. from? Well, literally just just seeing clients struggle with Facebook fundraising on Raise Through and raising a lot of money, but not 
um, not being able to engage their fundraisers, uh, manage their data, all of that stuff. So we started helping them out manually with spreadsheets and stuff. And it was just like, there's got to be a better way. And I just had a few too many coffees one day. And I was just like, this is it. This is like, there's an idea here. There's a platform here. We've got to, we've got to do this. And so I just went for it. I, I hired, hired a developer. We started building a, a, an MVP, a minimum viable product for those that don't know, um, to try and see if there was pro- product market fit. So try to see if there's any any of our clients that wanted to use it. It's gone from straight, you know, it's just it's like, it's been brilliant. Like it's just like been, it's solved, it solved the problems that, that it solved the pain point. And, and it's, it's been, it's been great. So from that one developer, we now have whatever it is, 15 staff and, 220 230 clients in 10 countries within the space of two two years and it's been it has been especially at the moment it's been like really like holding on to a rocket ship because of everyone doing these these events during during covid and stuff so so it's been great it's been timely but at the end of the day it's just like again it's just like a in some ways for me it's another music find it's another toy i get to build in the browser that has now thousands of users Incredible. And I mean, the, the, I think it was, was it the announcement last week or maybe two weeks ago now from Facebook around the donation volume going through yeah, the crazy, platform, right? like for anyone that didn't see it, I mean, maybe you can elaborate, but I think it was $5 billion Dollars, last yeah. year, which was a significant 70% growth over the previous years. It's just to give that some comparison, just giving since it started back in 2020 hmm. has raised $4.5 billion and wow. Facebook has already raised $5 billion. That's how that's how insane that is. And yeah. so that goes back to that viral effect I was saying before, where we just saw Facebook when it first came out go vroom. Hmm. And that's what's happened. You put fundraising on it, connected to something like birthdays, which I believe everyone has one of those. I think so. I think, I think that's so. right. Yeah. And so did you hear about the guy that changed his birthday every single day on Facebook and still after a year he had friends wishing him happy <laughs> birthday? <laughs> say i've got my somewhere on face it might be on facebook or some social network i've obviously put in my birth date incorrectly and so a, a certain date in the year i get like three messages from people that i haven't spoke to for, for a while going oh happy birthday today mate and i'm like uh it's not my birthday my, my brother my brother did this this is brilliant i loved it this is my favorite no it's not my favorite story about my brother but it's one of my favorite stories he started a new job and the following week was his actual birthday but he didn't want any fuss so he told them that his birthday was at the complete opposite end of the year. And then he stayed there for about five years. And he had to kind of continually have these birthday celebrations where people turned up with cake and cards and stuff. Brilliant. And what are you doing tonight? What do you mean? Oh, God, yeah, it's my birthday. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> That's have to celebrate his birthday midway through the year. And after three years, you can't tell anyone because it's no. just been so long. Yeah, no. that's hilarious. No, absolutely. But you've said, you said, Nick, so we, we've touched on, I mean, and, and you, you touched on it about the, the pandemic and actually what we've been going through the, the last year and how, you know, lots of charities have had to, to really look at this in more detail because potentially other sources of income have, have dried up. Can you talk about that? Talk about the last 12 months. What's that been like for, for GivePad? Yeah, it's been, it's been amazing to see our clients take our strategies and our platform, adopt them. And, you know, I can't take all the credit, by the way. There's amazing people that like are partners and connected to that came up with these ideas and things as well. So it's not just all GivePad. I don't want to say that it is. But like we have clients that are doing nothing but hiring people. And then, you know, you see other charities who aren't investing in this stuff who are kind of having to let everyone go. And so you've got that kind of dichotomy. So our, our clients are just, um, we had a presentation from one of our clients this week. We have like an academy where we get all the clients together and they presented their results. And this in 2020, they forced cost an 860,000 pound loss. Then because of our impact and because of the Facebook events that they did, they made 2.7 million. Wow. You know, for an organization, that's a, that's a huge turnaround. So they, three years ago, they were only raising something like one, like less than a million as an organization. Now they're raising 3 million a year through Facebook. So I think why why is that I mean you've touched on it there the 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 numbers speak for itself I mean I know from my limited experience that maybe Facebook don't necessarily shout about their the the platform in this way as much as as maybe others but what can you pin it on Nick why why aren't charities embracing this I think they are they are right they are and that's why we're growing so quickly there's an overriding thing where it's around investment in fundraising. So if you haven't got an understanding that you have to speculate to accumulate that doing great fundraising is based on great investment strategy in the beginning, 
you can't really do anything because you need our these events are predicated on spending some money on Facebook ads or getting some T-shirts ready for the people who are doing it. You have to spend that money. You have to have a board that is going to give you money. And it's amazing how many organizations I meet where that's just not the case. They just don't have the budget. And especially what happens during COVID is it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. But you think, oh, fundraising is going to dry up. So I'm going to cut the budgets. Mm. And that's just like the worst decision ever. You need to invest more in fundraising at that time, not less. And so, yes, yeah, so, so a lot of charities were too cautious when it happened. And, and in my business, you know, I, I, I have to say, I took a couple of weeks when it first happened, that first lockdown happened and the stock market crashed. And I was, whoa, what is going to happen to our business? And it took me two weeks to realize, okay, now we've got to invest heavily. But if you take six months over that stuff, 12 months over that stuff, you let your fundraising team go, you let your budgets go, you're not going to raise as much, are you? If you adopt new strategies, pivot into the trend, see that there's lots of people at home that actually want to raise money by doing press ups for you because they can't get down the gym and you hack into that thing that's happening in the world and you create a great fundraising out of it, you can raise a huge amount of money. So our clients have gone on to raise huge amounts of money while other, while other charities haven't. And I think it's about just a general approach to investment from what I can see and, and risk, risk, I suppose, appetite yeah. for risk as well. Jimbo is off at the bar, which makes a change, and means I can tell you about the website, domoregood.uk. There you'll find profiles, blog posts, previous episodes, and a link to the newsletter if you fancy some VIP content in your inbox. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at domoregoodpod, plus you can find us on LinkedIn. We've even started a TikTok. Anyway, he's on his way back. Hang on a minute, are they shandies? Going back to, you know, when you first walked into Christian Aid as the, as the new media guy and all everyone was looking around going, what, what exactly does he do? And unfortunately, that's still the case in a lot of charities. People don't aren't familiar with it. I know there's been some great progress on that front in terms of upskilling trustees, digital trustees being parts of boards, etc. But there's still a, a bit of a skills gap and knowledge gap there. Yeah, there's also just some organisations that doesn't, digital doesn't work very well for. Right. And that we don't talk enough about the fact that different models work for different organizations. So the model with events that we've got working at the moment works brilliantly for health medical organizations, right? Mm. So like if you're a yeah. cancer charity or whatever, it works pretty good for animal charities, but it doesn't work as well for international development charities. Emergency fundraising works brilliantly for international organizations when, when urgency, urgent things happen, but not so well for other charities. So, and sometimes you just find as an organization, you've just got to pick the right model mm. and go and try and try and go for it. But digital isn't always, always the going to be the best for your organization. So there's some organizations that just can't get it to work. Mm. And that's just the reality. Like there are, you know, there's just, there are, there are probably some retail businesses that don't fit e-commerce, right? Yep. Yeah. Like helicopters or something. I don't know. Do you buy a helicopter online? I don't My know. My last one I did and it was, yeah. a, it was a disaster. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't to scale at all. We're all wearing glasses, right? Right now, like I don't get my glasses online. There's an example of a business that doesn't work well online. Hairdressing, I can't really get my hair cut online. So there's some things that don't work, and same with charities. Some things just chat in the charity space just aren't great for digital fundraising. So it's not going to be for everyone. Yeah. How is it aligning with such a massive company like Facebook? Because you know, obviously, everything that they do, every announcement about them, every story about them, their successes, challenges that they have. How is that uh, kind of reacting to that? And it's a great question. It's a really good question. It, I say it's the both the biggest strength of Gift Panel, and also the biggest weakness. Mm. So the biggest strength is we are strapped to a hugely scalable platform. That you know, when I was at, uh, came into Christian Aid as that first fundraiser, and I was you know I was thinking about social media at the time. This is the platform I dreamed of, right? This is like you couldn't give me like give me amazing community. I can dump everyone in a Facebook group so they can all talk to each other and all have this amazing community. Give me peer-to-peer fundraising that is all embedded in the platform so people don't have to leave and log into another platform is all viral because people are connected to their friends and family anyway who are their donors, right? So give me an amazing fundraising. And then, and then strap an advertising platform that allows me to reach everyone on Facebook and get them into this experience. It's an amazing, amazing fundraising tool. If, if you had built Facebook, you That's, would have built this. Maybe, maybe, yeah. yeah. That's what you would have but, dreamt of i would have dreamt of yeah and it was what i was kind of thinking like every loads of people have dreamt of that they've just gone and built something over here in a ghetto and it hasn't got the user base facebook have done it and they've got 2.4 billion users that's kind of why so 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 we're strapped to 
we're aligned with you use the word aligned which is great because we we do have a partnership with facebook and that's that's a really healthy partnership so we are aligned with something where they've onboarded well over a million nonprofits to the platform they're onboarding new clients to that new charities that all the time which could be our clients so that's that's the positive thing we've got an amazing partner the negative side is we're a derivative of them and we don't have control over what they do they could you know they could they can release lots of things that can affect us but generally speaking what we found is that we help them that's good alignment because they're not a hundred percent focused on the charity in the same way that we are mm. we're just like zoned in on what the non-profit needs mm. whereas they're like trying to keep people just people on the platform to keep them engaged on the platform because they have an advertising model, right? So like they're more concerned with the donors and the fundraisers, I think, than the charities. They do they do care about the charities. They do build stuff for the charities, but we're like obsessed about doing that all day, every day in a much more advanced way. So they'll build some tools for charities, but we'll really go to the extra mile and build the extra tools. So it works. We definitely don't just see ourselves as a Facebook platform long-term. I was going to say that was going to kind of be my my next question about other platforms and what you're seeing or picking up from, you know, we're hearing a lot about TikTok. Obviously, we've got WhatsApp and Instagram that are in the, the Facebook ecosystem. He loves TikTok. He's uh, desperate for <laughs> followers on TikTok. Please, if you're listening, please follow him on TikTok. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. See them silly dancers. But I was going to say, just in terms of that, the Facebook connection, and you mentioned your, your, your partners with them, Nick, and I'm sure you kind of work closely, but they are a huge, huge organization that basically overnight could, should, could flip a switch and probably deploy thousands of developers to do what you guys are doing. How do you manage that risk or, or that worry as the founder of a business? I think it just goes back. I mean, they have got like lots of people working on the, social, on the fundraising tools. It's just that there's always going to be those things that charities need that Facebook aren't going to get around to build. Like that to me, isn't, isn't an issue. It, it was maybe in the early days until I figured out that actually, actually what we try and do is the opposite guys. What we try and do is we try and influence Facebook to build the stuff that we see working for charities, right. which sounds like, why would we do that? Right. Mm. But actually what we want to do is we want us, we want more charities to adopt Facebook because the fundraising tools, cause it raises more. And anything that raises charities more, that's a good thing from my book. So if you can raise more by doing an event on Facebook, why would we not want you to use Facebook if you're a charity? So we want that to adopt Facebook more and more. And so we're, we're quite happy if they kind of steal our ideas and we try and influence them to do that. That's fine because there's always going to be that next platform, that next idea. And we can keep, it's not a zero sum game, right? I can keep inventing. I can keep coming up with new ideas. Mm. And if we had to close down GivePanel because Facebook just literally copies everything that we've done, for me, that is like massive social capital. I can go to bed happy at night knowing that I've influenced things positively. And like, it's not, I'm not the kind of entrepreneur that cares about so much about the money. It's more about the impact. And so, so for me, that's like happy days. I feel kind of quite, quite flattered by that. I don't think yeah, they will yeah. do it. I don't think we, they will do it. Be a compliment, wouldn't it? Yeah. And where do you see GivePanel going over the next few years? Obviously, more people adopting Facebook as a, yeah. as a fundraiser. We just had an event called Social Fundraising Summit where we talked a bit about this. But essentially, what's happening is is third party, call them third party if you're a charity, third party kind of platforms. They're aggregators, really. That's what Google is. That's what Facebook is. They aggregate stuff, right? Like Apple aggregates podcasts. Yeah. There's all the podcasts on one thing on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify is now aggregating podcasts, right? So, so what's happening is everything's being aggregated. Podcasting, you know, news is being aggregated. You've seen this stuff with Facebook in Australia with around news. Mm. Google's got in trouble with aggregating news. Uh, YouTube aggregates video. I remember at Christian Aid, we wanted to have our own TV section of the website. You wouldn't do that now, right? You just have a YouTube channel because like YouTube is aggregated video. Yeah, yeah. So, so what's happening is fundraising is being aggregated. So Facebook have aggregated fundraising because what happens is they need to keep everyone on their platform. So of course they need to aggregate everything to their platform and Facebook are trying to aggregate video too. And no doubt podcasts at some point, it will be a Facebook aggregation part of a Facebook aggregation. So, so not to get too techie about it, but that presents charities with a major problem because before you used to own your own experience and own your own data. And now you've been aggregated. So now you need to survive it doesn't really matter whether like you care, like whether you think aggregation is a good or bad thing, just take it as a reality. It's just what's happening. So, so that, therefore you have to adapt, like the music industry had to adapt. I mean, at the time, like when I was working in the music industry, it was all about Kazar and those download sites and like people, do you remember those people yeah. ripping off music? But now, yeah. now the music industry had to pivot into Spotify and Apple music and all of these things. And you have to, record labels had to get their heads around a whole new model and i think the charities are kind of quite similar like 
as more as more fundraising happens in these platforms, if you look at just giving and how much down it is on event fundraising this year and how much Facebook is up on fundraising, it's insane. Mm. Right. So, so, so it's moving towards that direction of being third party social platforms, which is giving charities less control. So, so to come back to it, like what we see is we see ourselves helping nonprofits navigate that new world survive and thrive in the world of aggregated third party platforms whether it be tiktok whether it be facebook whether it be amazon right what what whoever it might be we're there to kind of interface between the two with a panel the panel between 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 those two so so we that's where we want to position ourselves it's a very grand kind of vision but at the moment it's really just facebook and instagram nick i'd like to just move on to you as a ceo founder you mentioned now you've got a company of how many how many employees are you now so we we have it's growing so quickly every every team meeting we're we're, we're welcoming a couple of new people i think we're 13 in terms of full-time like employees and then we yeah. have another 13 freelancers so if, if you were to count the freelancers it's something like between 20 and 30 i worked at the national trust for a while and built their digital team there you can't you can't hire everyone on one day unfortunately <laughs> So it takes time. But yeah, so we're growing, growing fast, but about 20 people. And what would your 20 employees, how would they describe Nick Byrne, the leader? Oh, my goodness. Uh, informal, <laughs> um, not very corporate, probably like uh, creative. Yeah, I don't know. Like, what was your what was your role in the band? Uh, manager. I was, oh, I'm, you, were, I'm, you were the manager of that band. I'm tone deaf. I'm completely tone deaf. So I never played a musical instrument in my life. I loved music, but I unfortunately was not gifted with, with the music. I think, I think our staff would find it's a very rewarding place to work. You get to see charities knock it out of the park. It's so our morale is, is really high. We haven't even met as a team yet. Wow. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. Because, of, because of COVID. So where I live in Stroud in Gloucestershire is not necessarily the best kind of talent pool for, for everything. So we, we were a remote company anyway before lockdown. I'm really looking forward to meeting up with the team. And we've got an amazing bunch of people. Amazing, amazing. And has that been your challenge through this past year? But being able to grow at that scale to, to match what's been going on? I haven't actually had too many challenges, really. I mean, it's like probably just the volume, the sheer volume of the work is the challenge. Just trying to steward it, really, and build it one day at a time and, and have that mix of not getting ahead of yourself. Yeah, it's just keeping up with the demand that's coming in. Yeah. And there's obviously areas of the of the company where I should have probably invested a bit earlier and didn't. And, you know, there's those like, like those kind of other things. So who reigns in Nick Byrne then? Because I can imagine, Nick, you, as you said, you're a high, <laughs> high energy guy, you know, lots of ideas. I mean, it's great to talk to you. Your passion, your energy comes through. You know, I'm kind of feel like I I want to get up and kind of go and relaunch my Facebook page or something like that. But <laughs> who, who reigns you in? Because I guess as that type of person and you're obviously very self-aware that you know you're that type of person. But who keeps you? Nick, we've really kind of got to stay in this in this lane, you know. Honestly, I don't think anyone else does. I think that's me. Like, I, I have this thing, like, I tell charities the, the rudest word in charity is the F word. And it's not Facebook and it's not the other one. It's, it's focus. And so I have the ability now, I didn't, maybe didn't before, but I have the ability to have extreme focus. So I've managed to, like, not create lots of new other ideas after GivePanel, right? I'm supremely focused on, on GivePanel and I'm, I found myself able to do that and so yeah so i'm okay with it it has surprised me yeah because i got that sense when you talked about look if facebook copy everything we do and took over our model then i got a feeling of actually then i get to come up with a new idea and then i get to go and play you know developing something else and well i think uh, what's giving back the mini disc what give panels enable me to do is come up with lots of ideas underneath that on that platform. Mm. So we have a roadmap that we're super excited about that we constantly come up with ideas that are so, and our clients are telling us like what we need to develop next. And then we get to build those things. So actually I, it kind of has kept me, I think it's the kind of thing that could keep me busy for a long time because it's interesting. Like every day is interesting. Every day is a new, a new problem to a new a problem to solve. So from my perspective, I think that kind of, it's the right that's what i love about software you don't have to come up with a completely new idea there's like it's always changing i mean zuckerberg said it in the film didn't he like it's like fashion it's always or whatever Mm -hmm. that quote is you know in the social network film and it's true like that's what i tell the team i said guys and we we release all the time so we do releases like every week on the platform and we we're really good at like getting new stuff out which i think our, our charities love and so that that keeps me busy, really, is that that kind of thing. And I don't need to focus on anything else. I mean, that's that's for now, maybe in 
a few years time it'll be different and I've learned that you get mature right I'm 40 something you learn focus at some point you learn how to focus I think yeah you get older you get a little bit slower in, in, in other parts of your life it's like oh maybe I should actually drill down and focus on this one, one yeah, especially when it's going well I think it's really hard to focus when things aren't going well and then you lose your focus and you start to escape into other things and you don't deal with it but at the moment it's going super well so it's easy to focus right so nick here's a question for you what 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 do you want your legacy to be ooh that's very grand give you a little bit more context i think to it you know you've obviously spoken about founding businesses starting new things the thread that runs through i think what you've said is about the charities and the customers and actually look you're you're saying you don't understand why people aren't doing this like you're you're trying to connect these charities to these funds that are out there that they're potentially leaving money on the table the social network inside the digital experience you know the charitable work where do you see your legacy i certainly don't see it as fundraising and charity interestingly i just don't think about it. i mean i like we already like i've helped raise charities raise a lot of money over the years even what we've raised this year isn't really going to move the needle in the total amount that I've helped raise it. Like, you know what I mean? Like I don't even really measure it. I just, I tried to work it out one day cause I needed to write something on our website. <laughs> so like, I worked it out. I tried to work out like roughly what I'd raised across the years at different charities and stuff. So I, and it, it came out to over a billion and I put it on the website. You would, if it was over a billion, you put it on your website. Yeah. But yeah. I've been, I've been doing it for a long time and we've had some amazing appeals over that time. You know, I worked for UNICEF across 60 countries. They raise a ridiculous amount of money. And I'm not saying that I'm single-handedly responsible for all of that at all, but I was involved in it. The legacy for me is much more, I think, on a personal basis to sound like maybe this sounds kind of obvious, but kind of someone, I never was that kid that knew, like the guys who were in the band, they knew what they wanted to be. They knew they wanted to be on stage. They kind of felt this calling, this, this, this is their legacy kind of, I've never known what I really wanted to do with my life. I, I didn't come to work in the charity sector on purpose. I just needed the money and then I, I stayed. And so I've never really had this kind of idea of any legacy with my job. It goes back to that entrepreneur thing. I think my legacy is more like, you know, am I a good dad? Am I like, you know, am I generous, generous with what I have to people, to, to strangers and people around me, like in my life when no one else is looking? What am I like behind, behind closed doors? Do you put the shopping trolley back in the car park? <laughs> Yeah, that's the ultimate. I've heard that's, yeah, the, that's ultimate, the ultimate thing. Yeah, I I just go on Tesco now online. Oh, Actually, yeah, of I, don't, I don't even do yeah. that. Yeah, I think like you know, who are you really? So I don't have any grand legacy of like you okay. know what I want to lead to the sector or anything like that. I, I used to work at Think, as you said, and Tony Elisher, who passed away, was just an amazing man. Yeah. And uh, there's the Tony Elisher Foundation now, and that's deserved because he gave so much to the sector and he was so such a passionate fundraiser. And I remember being blessed enough to work work under him and learn from him what during my time at think and like he deserves a foundation i don't think there's going to be a nick burn foundation in in the charity sector or anything like that so i'm okay with who i am when the when no one else is around and i know my heart's in the right place and and i you know maybe generosity i actually like giving rather than fundraising but giving i'm very passionate about giving right. i love the fact that these billion like, there's a lot of bad press about billionaires i think but i see a lot of healthy things as well I, I see the giving, the level of giving. I see entrepreneurs trying to change the world and make it more like a better place and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think giving giving is an interesting thing. I'd like to be. I mean, I don't, don't really have any money to give, but um, but as <laughs> yeah. a you know, as a, as a percentage, I'd like to be known to be generous. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I that think that's a good, sense. healthy thing. You know. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> so, Nick, if there's people, I mean, we we think that the audience, you know, likes to hear about people's experiences working up through their lives, careers jobs i guess for you if there's someone listening to this who's got a what they think is a brilliant idea and is kind of wondering about how to get it off the ground take that first step maybe they've already taken the first couple of steps but what what advice would you give to them ideas are like buses right they come every five minutes so it's it's all about the execution not about the idea so if you don't do anything with an idea it's, it's useless really so you just gotta you've got to act as fast as possible on that idea so actually what i do is i try and kill the idea first and see if it comes back so I actually, I actually, we have a rule at GivePan that's like, let's, let's try and forget it until like 10 clients start asking for it. And we keep thinking about it. I wake up at the middle of the night and go, yeah, that's the idea because it's got to survive. And then once it's survived, you've got to act upon it and test it and get it out in the wild as quickly as possible. You can do that in so many different ways. Mm. But I see, I see so many people procrastinate around ideas and they like, they do their business card first and they want a website first. But you can start a business without a website. You can start a business without a business card. You can start a business without all of that. You just need to start talking to customers and trying to trying to see if they want it first. And, and we call that product market fit in the startup world. Mm -hmm. So it's like try and get to from idea to action 
there's another thing my dad said ideas without actions are dreams right and it's probably confucius or something um because he was always ripping people off <laughs> <laughs> well if you're gonna if you're gonna rip someone off it's not a bad yeah, place to steal yeah so 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 ideas without actions are dreams and he just dr- drummed that into me so it's like okay ideas are nothing ideas honestly guys like i come up with i say i say to the team i'm like guys ideas can come from anywhere and if you have ideas i want to know them that's great but if you never have any ideas i'm fine because i have a thousand a day for all of us right <laughs> and i have a some a someday folder in my evernote right that is full of all my ideas that's how i park them and so i don't lose focus as i have a someday folder right there's nothing new under the sun ideas aren't the thing the thing is can you execute and find find something where you turn that idea into a product that people want to buy that's when you've got something and you can't do that unless you actually put a product in front of someone and it could just be a piece of paper could be a conversation like how hard is it to phone 10 friends that you think might want want this thing and just ask them like Mm. would this be something you know but people don't do that they don't actually want to know the truth no they they want to spend money on the website and the business plan and stuff there's so many adverts now isn't there all over the place like i was saying to my wife this week of i'm I'm sure they've they've been out for a while but it's all about start your own business it's all about Mm. side hustles it's all about get your website whatever there's so much out there now because i guess that's what feels like everyone wants to be an entrepreneur now which which makes sense the internet makes it so easy like you said with your with your daughter i mean in terms of gift panel how we started we put a landing page together and a wait list and sent it out to some people we knew and we had 300 people in the first day and wow. we did that all in one day mm. start small think big yeah no mm-hmm. no pro- no product yet yeah you know nothing nothing just a wait list to see are people are going to want this thing and if no one signed up i'd know pretty quickly I had an awful situation with part of my extended family where they'd invested hundreds of thousand pounds in this online idea back in around probably 2010, something like that. Mm. But they'd spent so much money. They came to me and going like wanting advice. And I was like, Oh my goodness. You know, you could have, you could have found out it didn't work before, like just on paper, like you didn't need to do, you didn't need to build any of it, but they went straight away and build it without talking to a single person. They went and built this thing and it was pretty horrendous really. And this web developer had spent like, you know, a lot of money on it. And so it was, it was heartbreaking to tell them that they'd mortgaged their house. It was, it was a really hard conversation. And I think I'm, I'm blessed to it wasn't follow an online donation platform for Facebook. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I ripped them off. <laughs> you don't want to build that guys. You don't want to build that. You had the Evernote, Evernote yeah. open at one side. Just yeah. Like, this is one. Yeah. 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 For later. yeah. <laughs> yeah I great. think, yeah, just get to that first, that first conversation with a potential customer as quickly as possible and be as skeptic about your idea try and think it's a bad idea because mm. everyone else will <laughs> so you know unless it's your mum who loves everything you do um, <laughs> get away from that and get to that core thing like that's what i would say to people i think that's i think that's great advice and i'm sure there's some people who are listening that, that will take that and, and action it and look before we start wrapping up nick so kind of back to the here and now give panel ceo founder going great guns facebook doing your marketing for you now you know they're talking about how amazing this platform is what do you hope from you get from the next year? What what your what your dreams for that? So I think like number one thing is we want to be a product led company. The product has to work brilliantly, and that's what we're focused on. We're focused on delivering the best product for our clients. We've invested a lot in product and making that product the best product it can be. There's so much we need to do on that to make that better, and our our customers help us feed into that. So that's that's the number one objective objective right now. And then we just want to help as many organisations as possible. So. Mm-hmm. We want to help them raise more money and and focus on that. So, so so really, we kind of know what the next year is. It's just it's about it's about executing on what we've what we've done so far, trying to increase the velocity of how quickly we can help charities. But super exciting times, and hope that some some big thing doesn't happen, like Facebook stop fundraising or something. But I don't think they will. And I think Instagram is incredibly interesting for us, and that's on the cards. Mm. So Instagram fundraisers are now a thing. Uh, they're showing up as money in Give Panel client charity accounts and stuff so i think instagram is going to be a big thing so yeah so it's that's that's what i want don't think there's anything too dramatic it's just what might be interesting for people listening is that there's actually two products that you have to build if you start a company so you've got give panel the product but actually now you have to build the product that builds the product which is the company because when you start out you just got it's you and the developer it's not a company yeah just two people Yeah, yeah so now i have to i've actually just we just hired an amazing product manager called rob who's just brilliant and he's going to focus on building give panel my focus i guess is building the product that builds the product 
So building the company and the ethos and the culture and looking after our staff and hiring more people. And actually, you find that CEO in that stage, you're basically a full-time recruiter and HR executive. And I've never really done that before, actually. That's new for me. I was going to like say, I, you're learning new skills or finding you have to, you yeah, have to learn I mean, new skills? I'm not necessarily a natural kind of CEO manager type, right? I'm more of a creative kind of person. So that's going to be interesting for me is like building that team and helping. Mm-hmm. And then the team builds the product. Yeah. And that's different because I've been building the products. So I need to now build the team that build the products. And that's a whole different kettle of fish. And I'm going to be learning, learning some stuff in that. And, and I might, you know, we might have to end up hiring someone that's better at it than me, <laughs> <laughs> which is fine, right? Like I'm okay with yeah, that. Yeah. And I'm yeah, not, yeah, yeah. I'm, I don't have to hang on a CEO. Like some people just hang on a CEO, don't they? And they're good at it, right? I'm not sure yet. Am I going to be a good at running a 40, 50 person company? Different set of skills, isn't it? It's yeah. a different challenge. Yeah. And- and is that, is that going to energize the staff and energize me? Is that going to be a good thing? Um, and so I'm open to that. I'm open to how that, how that works. But that's it's probably like beyond next year. It's probably. Sounds good. Sounds like exciting. an exciting, exciting road ahead. Nick, thank you so much for coming on and talking us through It's been great, guys. Background. I've, I've, I've loved it. I, I, I don't, I, you know, it's gone like time's gone. It's, it's, we've been quite a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we have. We, ne- we never, we didn't set out with kind of, we started initially saying, oh, we'll try and do it for half an hour. But then you just kind of like, you just get into a conversation. And before you know it, you sat there two hours later. Well, to be honest, we started, we built a website, we printed some business cards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Spent three months coming up with a logo. Then, yeah. yeah. But talking of exciting, we have three new questions to finish off on. Yeah. So quick questions. Let's go for it. Okay. What's the one failure in your life that you've had that you've learned the most from? Okay. Failure in my life. I think um, one of them was the the band, like Spinal Tap, you know, falling apart and losing a lot of money being in debt. What I, what I've learned now is this is, you'd be useful for any young people listening is I took ages to recover from that. Mm. I should have just got straight like back on the horse a lot quicker in terms of business and stuff. So recover mentally or financially? Yeah, mentally, both, probably both. That was a learning for me that sticks out. Like, you know, it was certainly a failure. It's probably easier for you to say that now to your, your younger self to say, you know, get back in there. But at the time that probably was devastating when you're in it, it it must've been hard. Yeah. I think, and also the money, the money facts. I mean, I just, you know, I think I just assumed that everything I touched would work out. And it oh, didn't. And, and it, the harsh reality. Yeah, came, the harsh reality yeah. of life, life kind of thing. So yeah, yeah I, look, I look look back on it. Just like the only learning I have is like pick up quicker. I, I I wasted ages there. I wasted a decade. That's a long time. Like waste a year. Go go and like yeah. introspective for a year. But I just went. Yeah, I lost that kind of verb for it for a decade. I think. So well, I that leads to- on beautifully yeah. to our second question, Kenneth. This is brilliant. Uh, if you were having a tough day, who's the one person you would call for inspiration? Oh, good question. I'll probably just chat to my wife, maybe, you know, that might be the first thing. Go out for a walk. I'm not, I'm not great at consulting other people about stuff, actually. (laughs) So I probably would harbor harbor a lot of myself. One of the things I've been thinking about is how I can have more mentors in my life, actually, because I think that would really help me. So I have a couple of mentors, but not like I need to kind of have that deeper relationship. So perhaps you've uncovered something there that is a bit of a weakness I need to work on. Interesting. Okay, last question. As a podcast that focuses on people doing more good, what's your favourite story or inspiring individual that you've met on your journey recently that has done something good for others? Gosh, well, I mean, my my wife is so generous. I keep going back to. I mean, we got so many customers. I could just say, like, you know, yeah, it's a it's a hard question, right? <laughs> so but, um, many. But my my wife just she got the community together and just planted daffodils during the lockdown in our local park, which is a bit dingy, but not anymore. And they just all come out in the spring and she organized the whole thing and bought the daffodils and, and did everything and i just thought that's you know it was just a message of hope really during during the lockdown and i thought that was a really generous the value of investment early yeah exactly now, I, I did paying dividends yeah yeah, yeah 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 so so she's 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 super super generous super super out otherly thinker uh, which is keeps me on the straight and narrow so so that's someone who inspires inspires me and then yeah our client like our customers as well who just kind of like to be honest work for so hard to raise the money that they raise and then you know they, like I told you that story where they turned it from an 18 800,000 loss into a 2.7 million profit kind of thing and that's that's through hard work and graft so I think our customers just day in day out just being fundraisers is like they're, they're brilliant they work harder than we than even we do so 
we recorded an episode with a, an amazing lady called Jane Binion, who's founded a social enterprise that helps helps women who are starting their own businesses or coming out of terrible situations. And at the start of the podcast, we we talked about oh, who are the inspirational women that we had in our lives or that we've seen. And of course, I said my wife, like you, Nick, you know, we know where we need to give the credit. James didn't say his wife. Oh, no. He said a few other individuals. And then when my wife listened to the podcast this week, so we'll give her a shout out for listening to it. She was like, did James get in trouble for not mentioning his wife on the podcast? Wow. Did you get in trouble, James? (laughs) Nick, it's nice to hear how supportive your wife is. Mine will never know because she she wouldn't. She's not going to hear that she didn't get a shout out. Jenna's not going to hear this either because she's far too busy to listen to listen to it. But um, I I can say what I like, actually. I've got away with it. So I'm not I'm not I'm not saying it to get brownie points. Yeah, that's good. Well, look, Nick, thank you for your time. We'll, We'll wrap it up there. Great to meet you. Good luck with everything. Is there anything, any final message or any word? No, just to reach out to you or anything like that. Yeah, just I'm best person place to connect. Yeah, I always just say my email address because it's easier. It's just nick at givepanel.com. And I just love hearing from anyone and everyone. I just like, I love um, always just grabbing a kind of virtual 15 minutes coffee with someone or whatever. So that's fine. So just email me and uh, nick, nick at givepanel.com. And I just really enjoyed it, guys. I, I like, I, I love it. I'm actually going to, after this, I'm going to listen to some more episodes because I've just really enjoyed the experience. It's taken me down memory lane. So thanks so much for inviting me. Great stuff. Well, I was going to say, I'm not going to listen to more episodes. Oh, I'm going to get on MusoFinder and see if anyone needs a rather erratic tambourine player. Goodness me, is it even, <laughs> is it even still live? <laughs> let's have a look. All right, let's wrap it up there. Cheers, guys. See you soon. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks, bye. Just before we go, can we ask a favour? If you've enjoyed this episode, and you've made it this far after all, and you want to help us reach more people and attract more guests, then we'd love a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you haven't got anything nice to say, then say it in an email. Get in touch at contact at domoregood.uk and let us know how we can improve the show. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another story of someone doing more good.